All right. Morning, everybody. Right now, downstairs, uh, a bunch of our college kids are putting on a, a, like a mangers, I don't know, a little play for our kids down there. So I'm excited to hear how that goes. Um, yeah. So don't all just leave at once and go watch that. Stay here. Just, um, and we are having, I think uh, uh, Emma mentioned we're going to do communion in a few minutes. So I uh, just want to remind you of that as we're preparing and we're going through the message this morning. Probably uh, one of my most fond memories of uh, elementary school was when I was 12, 1977, my sister's birthday party. In, in, uh, her, her party was to invite her friends to go see the first Star Wars, or as many of you people know, the fourth Star Wars. <laughs> so I remember this vividly, going to the theater and uh, sitting down. I remember the theater. I remember almost everything about it. Uh, and then, you know... Those of you who were alive at that time, you know, the, the words start to scroll, the story's going on. You're like, wow, that is so cool, you know, in a galaxy far, far away and all that. And then this little spaceship goes, you know, flies from the top of the screen. I'm like, oh, that is cool. You know, and, this, and it, like it's this, the, there's a panorama setting down over this, this uh, moon or something. And, and then suddenly the Star Destroyer goes, <laughs> and the theater's shaking. And you're like, oh, that's a big ship, you know, and you see the point of it, and it gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. I was blown away. Is there anybody else that's that old, like with me, remembers that? Okay, good. Yeah. Yes. Good times. <laughs> yeah. Okay. It's not just me. So, uh, I was, I mean, nobody had ever done anything like that before. It was so unbelievable to see that spaceship cover. And it just was the, an incredible start to the story, you know, that we're still, you know, even this week, some of you may have already bought tickets uh, for Thursday night to see the latest installment. Uh, pretty, pretty exciting. But uh, that, was, that was an incredible introduction to an incredible story. And I've probably read, you know, the beginning of the book of John. I heard it spoke on, I don't know how many times. But looking at it this time reminded me of that. I, had, I just didn't realize how incredible of a stage opening that John 1, 1 through 5 is. I mean, I knew it was cool. You know, in the beginning was the word and, you know, this thing. You know, that was cool. But I didn't, the more I looked at it this week and when our men's Bible study looked at it, I was like, oh my gosh, this is unbelievable. And the, the theme that runs through the whole introduction is the idea of Jesus, who is the word, the word. And so we're in a series about the names of Jesus. And there are many names that Jesus has been known by. But this particular one today is the word. And so we're in John 1, 1 through 5. And we're going to look at 1 through 5 and 14 in particular. But I think the main thing that John is trying to do when he tells us this story, when he introduces the story of Jesus, and, and by the way, the, the book of John is just one of the most personal, down-to-earth, uh, he, he sort of brings together the magnificent and the very common part of Jesus, that whole, if you read it, you see those things happening all the time. And so at the very beginning, he does that. He's, this is the most incredible thing. You cannot believe what this is, and it's so common. It just all comes together. And he is trying to get us and get his readers to understand the, the magnitude and the plainness of Jesus and want to turn the page. 
Just want to turn the page and see what's next. And so I hope, if, if nothing else from this message, this time where we look at these verses, all of us want to just go and turn the page and just see a little bit more. Let me, uh, let me read it with you. Uh, one through five, one, one through five. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And then 14. And the word became flesh, and it dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son of God from the Father full of grace and truth. Here's an application I want to suggest to you to think about. I'll kind of tell it like this. I, whenever, you know, a lot of times you go to a Bible study or you're with people who are talking about the Bible and you read a verse and then you say, okay, what does this mean to you? We've all been to that. Probably, many of us. So, and then we share. And it's a great way to interact with the Word. We, we see what it's saying, what the Bible is saying, and then we, we, we say, well, what, how does that impact me? How does it change me? And that's a great way to look at the Bible, and we should. This is one of those things. It's such a profound truth of God in the Word that it is, it's, it's less about how it impacts us and what it is. What it is, is is much more important, and who he is is so much more important that we understand. And then how that impacts us is secondary. Uh, some of you have probably been on this trail. I'm going to tell you about this thing that happened to me that was somewhat unfortunate, um, which is usually a theme of the things that I tell you from up here. Uh, but uh, I was on a, group, a, a hiking trip with a group, and we were just we went uh, west or east from Molas Pass. Some of you have been on this trail. And we're, we go down those like 30, 100 switchbacks, and then we're heading uh, east from there. And uh, we're, we're somewhere in this beautiful valley, and uh, we have a day, a free day to hang out and just kind of do whatever we want. So a group decides, part of the group, that we're going to go up on this plateau that we can see above us. And it has just looks like it has a great view of the valley. It looks really easy to get up on. No big deal. And so, uh, right, you see where this is going. Um, Claire is on this trip, my wife, and she happens to stay in camp with a couple of other folks. And so we say, hey, we don't even need lunch. We'll be back by like one. And so, uh, uh, you know, a bunch of us guys take off out of camp and, and we head up this thing and it, it gets steeper and steeper. Pretty soon we realize, well, if we're going to get to the, we can't really go down. So we're going to go on up to the top and it takes forever. And we get there and it is beautiful. It is an unbelievable view. We enjoy it. It's just, we're looking down. And then, of course, we, we realize after a minute, it's about one. We're supposed to be down there. We don't have any food and uh, we can't go back down because it's way too steep. And it's one of the lessons I learned about leading trips at that point, what not to do. Um, but we ended up, uh, uh, you know, taking this long traverse around and going down this creek bed. And so finally at dusk, we get back, fortunately. And uh, what, I, what I had learned, uh, what, what I have learned is that, uh, you know, it, it's easy to look at something and, and not uh, try to know it well and understand it and just... Uh, have some some uh, misunderstandings about what to expect. I'm, I'm not thinking through the information I have. 
This, this thing that we're seeing that John is going to present us about who Jesus is and how he relates to God is so powerful, we cannot even hope to get our minds around it. And so if we just say, what does this mean to me? We are being completely uh, uh, self-centered in our interpretation and our thought about it. I want to encourage you in application to try to get in touch with what this means, regardless of who I am, regardless of what I feel, think, have been through, or anything else. This is who God is, and this is who Jesus is. And think about that. And, how, and then, secondarily, how does it impact me? So let the, the meaning that John was trying to get across kind of sink into us rather than go to that place where, oh, what does this mean to me first? Uh, so we want to be able to, we want to desire to turn the page. John's going to show us that the word is God and the word is good and the word is real. The word is God, the word is good, and the word is real. Now, one thing that's important to, to note, and you probably saw it as we read it, is that the word, and, and typically, I think, uh, here's Tyler's Bible, you know, we think of the word as this, and this is, a, this is the word. But that is a piece of the whole picture of the word of God. And so when, sounds like some fun is being had somewhere. Um, if y'all wouldn't mind making a bunch of noise, let's trump that down there, Okay. <laughs> Uh, we're talking about Jesus. So let's just make sure we understand. He, he says, the word is God. The word was with God. In the beginning was the word. When he says all those things, he said it was him who created all things. It was Jesus, and Jesus came in the flesh. Jesus is the word. So when we start, that's what we're talking about. We can't ever let that slip out of our mind. Three things that, that, Paul, I mean, that John communicates to us in these in this first three phrases that he uses. Uh, and you'll see him. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So, in the beginning, does that remind you of any other phrase in the Bible anywhere? In the beginning. Genesis 1. Flip back there, same thing. In the beginning. You know, if you use a literary reference, like the first word, three words of the Bible, four words of the Bible, five words, you're, you're like tying yourself to some pretty big stuff, Right? That's exactly what John was trying to do. And I've just missed this for so long. He is trying to say to his readers, in the beginning, this is just like in the beginning. This is a big deal. I am referencing the beginning. And it doesn't mean that Jesus was created. Are you already done? All right, how'd it go? Doing great. Awesome. All right, come on. He even grew Jesus' hair for this. No lie. Took months. Took months. Thank you for doing that, by the way. It doesn't just mean that Jesus showed up at the beginning. When, when the Bible says in the beginning, it means that an eternal being was there. Okay? It's very important to understand that. We see that throughout Scripture. So we want to be sure that we're not hearing that in the beginning, Jesus was created. In the, in the beginning meant that God in the, the Godhead, we're only talking about two parts of the Trinity, the Father and the Son. That Jesus was there at the beginning. The Son was a part of this at the beginning, and he was eternal and is eternal. That's important to understand as we, as we look into this idea. And then it says, uh, the Word was with God. 
The Word was with God, so the Word was in relationship with God. My old boss used to say all the time, life is about relationships. And every time he said I was like, are you sure? I don't know. Every time. And you pro- some of you probably said that just now. When, are you sure, really, or true? Uh, relationship with God, others, and self. Life is about relationships. The reason life is about relationships is because we are made in the image of God, and God is in relationship. We have a hard time understanding that. All we know is, by definition, God is in relationship. It's very hard for us to understand. But do you know, when you are out of relationship, when a relationship was broken with someone that you care about that really matters, it matters to you. It messes us up. And the reason that that is, I mean, you just can't deny that truth. When, when the reason that that is true is that we are made for relationship. And this is saying that they existed in relationship. They are one. One is the father. One is the son. And they exist in relationship. But then, it, it, how, it's amazing how John does this. He builds... Uh, he builds this, uh, it's like the, it, it's not the right words, but it's like the death, not the Death Star, but the, uh, what is that? What kind of ship is that? The, uh, uh, no, dang it, I just said it a minute ago. Star Destroyer, Star Destroyer. <laughs> <sighs> or is it an Imperial Cruiser? Set me up. Is it an Imperial Cruiser at the beginning? Thank you. We'll take that up afterwards to be sure. He's just building this amazing argument because he says, then he says, the word is deity. This son, Jesus, is deity. Look at it again. He says, in the beginning was the word. The word was with or in relationship with God. And the word was God. That's a pretty big claim. The Jewish people who are reading this were saying, wait a second. This is some new information to us. This is, he is really trying to just throw, uh, to open this, this, the curtains in, a, in an incredible way. In fact, if you change the order of what he said, uh, it, it, I think it, it flows more easily for us. Jesus, the word, is God. He is in relationship with God, and he is eternal. Those are big claims. Every Sunday morning when I'm going to speak, I get up really early. I'm not an early morning guy, but... I always get up early in the fours. And so when I get up, I sit on the couch, I get the coffee going, and out of my window I can see whetstone just out of one of the panes of the window. And so, but when I get up, it's completely dark. And every time I'm there, as long as the sun is out, it's beautiful. The light comes up, the shadows start to fade, and then suddenly on top or right on the side of whetstone, is, it's just lit up. Some of you or all of us have seen that at some point or another right over here. And when it lights up, it, it, when I was thinking about this and I saw that this morning, I thought, you know, that is, that is what John is doing, this huge truth that we can never get our minds around. He's just shining this light on the very topmost point of it. Jesus, the Son of God, is God. He is the Word, and He was there at creation. So the Word is God. The Word is God. The word is also good. And it's a beautiful phrase that he uses here. Uh, look at it in verse 4. In him, in Jesus, was life. And the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness. 
And the darkness has not overcome it. A couple things about this. In him was life. You know, life is an amazing thing. I mean, some inanimate stuff was brought together and was brought to the point of existence, reproduction, cognizance, planning, understanding of beauty, all of these things from dust. When I think about that, it it kind of puts me in my place. When I really drill down on that and try to honestly consider what has happened that we have life, life that can think and reproduce. Things that evolved simultaneously that can reproduce with one another. Simultaneously. But the fact that life came from nothing on this planet is just one piece of the complexity of the problem. I was reading in uh, this magazine called Discover. Some of you might have seen it. And one of the things that people are talking about now is the unlikelihood of Earth. You know, because we've always thought that there must be another planet out there that's like Earth because there's so many planets, right? I bet every single one of us thinks there might be another planet. And we have been taught that from day one. Okay, that's, that's not the prevailing thought at this point. There is a lot of consideration around that. This is from uh, last year in Discover Magazine. Uh, Earth may be a one in 700 quintillion kind of place. Okay, I don't, even if you don't know anything about statistics... <laughs> okay, so... The subtext is this, uh, under this. The assumption is usually made that there must statistically be another place like Earth capable of supporting life. We all kind of get that. We have telescopes and things all looking and listening and, and all this all around that. A new study suggests that there are around 700 quintillion planets in the universe, but only one like Earth. According, bear with me, it's just short. According to the authors, most planets in the universe should not look like Earth. The model indicates that the Earth's existence presents a mild mild statistical anomaly in the multiplicity of planets. From a purely statistical standpoint, Earth perhaps shouldn't exist. So it's not just that it was complex that life arose out of nothing, an amazing thing that we're talking about in John 1, but it's also amazing that earth, a place that life that we can understand exists at all. Now, some of you who've had statistics understand that when you have the probability of one thing and the probability of another thing, you don't add them together, you multiply them together. And you come up with a much higher number of unlikelihood. And we, I mean, we have to wrestle with that. We have to wrestle with the beauty of the amazing thing that is being claimed in this. And the more we discover, the more we realize how complex and complicated it might be that this could actually be happening, that I could talk to you and you can think about what I'm saying. But one other thought on that. There was a guy, a scientist, and you should read about him. He's pretty interesting. Fred Hoyle. Some of you are familiar with Fred uh, in in the mid-20th. 
Fred Hoyle calculated the odds of life existing on this planet by chance at 1 in 10 to the 40,000th power. Uh, there's an editorial comment where I read this. It said, it's, it's hard to be that lucky. <laughs> and and I, I don't want to sound condescending at all uh, because I respect the fact that we don't have any other options. It's either God or something else. And so I get it. I'm just trying to bring up the issue. Uh, Hoyle compared... Oh, oh here, here's this. The probability... That probability, 1 in 10 to the 40,000th 40, 40, power, is a probability that is far greater than the number of atoms in the uni- observable universe, 10 to the 82nd power. Hoyle compared the odds of a tornado whipping through a junkyard and cre- compared it to uh, the odds of a tornado whipping through a junkyard and creating a, se- a functional 747. <laughs> Life... All I'm trying to say to you is life is unbelievable. And John is saying, Jesus is the life. He is the source of life. He is the creator of life. So we have to deal with that. He says, Jesus is the source. Have you ever gone to the museum? Uh, Like museum with the greatest art. You know, some of you have been to places like that, like the Louvre or something. And you get the audio, and you listen to this thing. And hopefully, if you're in the Louvre, you're listening to it in English. <laughs> you click through till you get there. And, uh, and when you're listening to that, you go to the painting that you saw in your, in your history book or something when you grew up, and you look at the painting, and they say, well, this artist, blah, 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 and this, and this is why, and he was a part of or she was a part of this, and this thing happened, and there's actually another painting that's just underneath this, and the reason for that is this. And you start to understand all about what was happening in the heart and mind and life and culture of the creator of this piece of art. And you, and you go, wow, I love that. It's so awesome. I thought it was horrible before, but now it's beautiful. I want to buy one of those. You know, I want to go look at it some more. Some of you have experienced the very thing I'm, I'm talking about. God created people who could create things out of stuff, and they're inanimate things that exist that we look at and think are beautiful. And he did that. He, he did that, but he also created what he created from his word. He didn't have stuff. He didn't have dirt, paint, whatever was mixed up. He didn't have clay, anything else. He spoke with his words, created these things. This is the claim that we are reading right here. And so when we open the book of John and see, in the beginning was the word and the word was God. And then that verse, which we didn't put up back up there, but from Jesus, everything was created. He instigated it all. We have to wrestle with that. He is the source of life. And life and light are good. Life and light are good. This happened to me the other day. I was, got out of my car. I did something in the garage. And then, the, you know, the little lights in the garage that has a timer on it? And then it goes out. And I'm like, oh, God. You know, I can't see thing in there. Everybody's been in a place where the lights go out or whatever, and you can't see anything. You're like, dang it. Why didn't I just go turn on the switch and keep it going? Because when the light goes out, things get a little sketchy. And y'all, we were praying about some things this morning where the light goes out in people's life and things get hard, right? And Jesus is the light. Light is hope. And often when we talk about, I, I, I'm concerned about my friend who doesn't know Jesus because what I want them to have is hope. 
I want them to have a hope of a future of like Tyler prayed this morning that things will be made right. And that's what this is about. The creator will make things right. We need light. Light is good. And Jesus is the light and he's the light of life and he's the creator of both. And this is good. We may be in a dark place in dark times, but Jesus is the light, and that's good news. So the word is God, the word is good, and the word is real. And this is one of the most amazing passages ever. You just hold on to this one. It's really easy to memorize, too. Uh, the beginning of verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. He starts out really big. He is the word. He was at the beginning, and he became flesh. And neither are, uh, they're both incredible. The word became flesh. Jesus became a man. The God, our creator, God, our creator, became a man and lived and walked among us. And this is the Christmas story. The beginning of the Christmas story is that Jesus becomes a man and lives among us. Suffering, temptation, joy, relationships, all those things would be a part of things that not only did he create, but he would experience I was listening to Tim Keller's message on this, uh, on this uh, topic right here uh, earlier this week. And he says something that he, he often says, and I just want to bring it up. He says, when God became man, he became vulnerable. And in becoming vulnerable, he became killable. In his human body, he became killable. And this is the thing that makes Christianity different from any other religion. In fact, it makes it so different that you could actually define Christianity as something different than religion. Because religion, all religion, is about doing things to make yourself better or less, more, something else, to be approved, to perform for someone. This is completely different and other than all of that because the Son of God became man to die for us so we could be restored to relationship not by any works that we do. That is, that's the gospel. That's the gospel in a nutshell. And that is not a part of any other religion. And I think it's very cool when you think about that, that all religion, if you, if you just were to stack them up, you would say, okay, what do you have to do to be right here? What do you have to do to be right here? And how do you be good enough for, or empty yourself enough for, or whatever it is, all of these things, they make sense because we are performance-based people. We want to perform we want to do well. We want to do right. We get that from God. But the difference in our situation is that we could not ever be good enough to be good enough for the word, for the creator. And so he comes and makes us good enough. He does the work. We don't earn it. And then I just want to uh, say something about that word dwelt. I love in the message, if any of y'all have the translation, it's the message. He says... Uh, the translator says, he, Jesus moved into the neighborhood. It's cool. I like that. I mean, it gets the idea. He's just right here. But uh, John is referring and using a very specific word when he says this word uh, to dwell. It was the same word. It's, it's tabernacle. And some of you have been around church for a long time. have heard that word. Tabernacle sounds like a pretty churchy word to me. But tabernacle is the same word that we use for tent. So we could just say tent. He came, he, he came and set up his tent with us. 
And the reason that's important is because uh, when the people of Israel wanted to be close to God in the wilderness, he said, okay, we'll set up a tent that you bring with you and we'll set up this ritual in order for you to have my presence with you as you go through. And so this tent surrounded because no one could see God. Now Jesus comes and he becomes the thing, the flesh, the real thing that people we can see and experience and touch and know. He is the image of God. He's the tent that's set up that we can actually touch and see and feel, and it's him. And so that word tabernacle or to dwell was a really important word to the Jewish people. And so we need to understand it more fully. It doesn't just mean that he took up residence in our neighborhood. It means that he became the place, the, the one whom, through whom we could see and know God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And, and so listen to what he says after that. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. Because he set up his, because he became the tent, we are able to see God full of grace and truth. And he goes on to say that the word, this thing, is full of grace and truth. Check it out on your own. Okay, I want to conclude uh, by saying this. You know, we've, we've seen that the word that John is talking about is both God, or all, is God, good, and is real. But we didn't read verse 9 through 12. And I want to read that to you. He is the true light which gives light to everyone. He was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But here's the, here's the ending. But to all who did receive him, who believed, not people who acted, who did great things, who performed, but those who believed in his name, he gave the right to be in relationship with God. Not just relationship, not like friendship, but to be children. And Jesus was the son of God. And he gives us the right to be also sons of God. And that, and that means children. That means it's neuter, generic. Relationship, only by belief. It's a pretty powerful few verses. I hope it'll make you want to turn the page. Let me ask the people who are going to help with communion to get that stuff together while I pray to close this. Band guys can, or whoever musicians are coming up. God, we are, uh, I'm just, I just can't believe uh, what you uh, do. I can't, uh, well, I don't want to say I can't believe it. Without you, I, I can't understand it. Um, but I thank you for, for John and how he opens up this uh, just power, these powerful claims. And Lord, just as much as the Jewish people were shocked that he said that there was someone else there with God in relationship, Lord, we're shocked by the idea that maybe <clears throat> creation is bigger, that, that we can't understand, we're just not going to get to the bottom of it. Uh, Lord, and, and that leaves us with... Uh, you. But God, whatever is shocking us, I pray that, Lord, we would be drawn to know more about who the one who is the tent 
among us is. Uh, so and I pray that wherever we are uh, with you, um, whether far or near or don't even know you, God, that we would, uh, this morning as we have a few moments just to listen to this uh, song, to, uh, to have a chance to connect with you through a ritual that you set up just before you sacrificed yourself uh, through your son. I pray that we would be, we'd use this time to connect with you in that. In Jesus' name, amen.